Life Church created this podcast because we all need healthy conversations with real people. So this podcast is here to help you start conversations with your life group, friends, and family. Now, on to the show. Well, welcome back to the You've Heard It Said podcast. This is Allie. And Jason. And it is only summer as we record this, but 2020 has been a year. Yeah. Like, have you guys seen all the memes? The the one where 2020 is like Scar from The Lion King <laughs> yes. and he's taking over Pride Rock. <laughs> yes. Or I've seen ones where people are like, hey, when can I cancel my free trial of 2020? Yes. And this is going to make me sound like one of those people but like I also feel like I don't want to cancel like obviously the suffering the racial injustice the economic issues pandemic I mean it's just all that stuff's terrible nobody wants that Mm -hmm. but there's also this really rare opportunity to get a lot better at a lot of things yeah I mean we don't want to cancel that part of it and so I think we just need to figure out what is the better normal that we can get to I think that's what this season is about, just getting back to a better normal. And instead of running from all of these terrible things, maybe just figuring out, is there ways that we can change our perspectives? So today's big question is, how can I process my emotions in a healthy way? I'm glad I don't have to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But seriously, last night I was just hanging out with some friends. They're about to have their first baby Mm. and we're asking us questions about parenting young kids and I was like mostly it's just getting creative about poop removal (laughs) (laughs) and then the other thing is figuring out how to help your kids deal with disappointment Mm -hmm. so like feelings Mm -hmm. and uh, so a couple weeks ago we and we've been letting our kids watch the Star Wars saga for the first time which is like a whole nother podcast Okay. and the other night they're all like geared up and amped up wanting to watch the next movie and then we have to tell them no. And it's the scene when Luke finds out that Darth is really his dad. <laughs> it's just like epic disappointment in our house. They're screaming. Toddlers are like drawing angry things on the walls. There's ugly <laughs> crying happening from... I mean, I get it. That is kind of my reaction when people tell me that I watch too much One Tree Hill. So, uh, I- <laughs> so, so my, like, my typical response, uh, my wife is more empathetic, but my typical response to sort of that thing is like, just stop it. I want to cancel the the bad feelings. I'll be like, kids, it's a movie. Nobody's dying. I just want it to stop. I'm sure that goes over really well. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, I kind of do the same thing, though. Like whenever I'm stressed out or irritated or upset, I'll just say, like, it's fine. Except that it's actually not fine. And like, then the like, more stress that I get, the higher in pitch the it's fine gets. Uh-huh. So it's like, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. But, like, you know. Like when um, last minute I'm like, hey, yeah, I, I, I'm still going to try to look at that podcast outline you sent. And you're like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So. so the other thing about parenting young kids, in addition to the poop and the disappointment, <laughs> is that you often hear yourself saying something to them that you need to hear yourself. Mm. So with the movie thing the other night, I feel like God was probably talking to me because for some reason I responded differently this time. I found myself Mm. listening to them and then like helping them calm down, hugging them. Mm. And then for the first time ever, these things came out of my mouth. I said, there's two things we need to do when we're sad. First, we need to talk to God and people about what we're feeling. And then second, 
we need to talk to our feelings about the truth. Dang. Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. I was like, how did I come up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, I really like that. It actually reminds me a lot about what I've read from a therapist and an author, Kay Gackle. And so we actually got the opportunity to talk with her. And I think you'll really like her story and yep. what she has to say. My name is Kay, and I'm married to Greg Ackle, who is on staff here at Life Church. And we've been married for about 18 and a half years. We have Congrats. two kids, yeah, um, a son who is 15 and a daughter who is seven. Mm-hmm. And our family actually moved to Oklahoma about five years ago from our home state of Florida. So we've been experiencing all of the fun weather <laughs> patterns here in Oklahoma. It's been quite an adventure. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I love my work. I get a front row seat to watching life change. And I mean, it's just, it's really incredible. That's awesome. Well, um, I think that this year we were all stuck and alone with our thoughts for a long period of time. Yes. And so we're all wondering, like, what do we do with all of these feelings that we don't know how to process? And so we wanted to have you on because you actually wrote a whole book about processing (laughs) your emotions, which is awesome because I think most of us tend to run away from our emotions. So could you just tell us a little bit about what led you to write this book? Yeah. So as a therapist, um, I practiced in Miami before we moved to Oklahoma and I had a friend down there and a colleague, her name is Vicky. And she and I would often just hear the same phrase, I'm numb or I don't have any feeling. And we just heard it over and over again. And so she and I just began to talk about, well, what does it look like to really help people process through getting back to feeling? And what does that look like for people? And really it was my own experiences that really pushed me to write the book because I had um, multiple miscarriages and I lost family members and my husband's identical twin went into renal failure. So he became a kidney donor. I was sick by a drunk driver. I mean, it was just like every three months there ended up being something that I was going to have to process. And there really was this one moment where um, I was back in my hometown of Jacksonville and it was two days before Christmas and I'm standing in front of the church where I grew up and I was baptized and married and I'm watching it burn. And of course, everyone around me is crying and I just remember looking at it and feeling nothing. And Mm -hmm. so I just remember thinking, well, that's not good, you know, and just knowing that that wasn't okay and that I was going to have to process something and then just trying to figure out, well, what does that actually look like? So it's really from my own life experiences and then also my clinical practice. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. I'm so sorry that you went through all of that. How do you keep your faith in the middle of so much tragedy and suffering? And then how do you have the strength to not just let yourself continue to not feel your emotions and stay numb, but how do you have the strength to confront those feelings? There's this really great verse in Romans, it's Romans 5 through through 5, where it says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, Mm -hmm. character, and character hope. And we know based on that verse that suffering is not the end of the story. What that verse tells us is it ultimately produces hope. And so for me, in this time of going through all of those things, I stayed in perseverance for quite a while (laughs) in that survival mode where I would just get up and do life and repeat and repeat and repeat and just pushing through some of those really hard life events. But then came a time when I was ready to start feeling it again. And so I didn't do it all at once and I didn't do it all day long. I gave myself the permission to start to feel again in smaller doses that were a little bit easier to just sit with God for a little bit and let him tell me about what was going on. Let me yell, cry, scream, whatever I needed to do in those little bite-sized pieces. And then as that started happening more, then I started to see more of God's character. Mm. And then that is actually what ended up giving me hope. 
So just to quickly pause my conversation with Kay, we just wanted to acknowledge that God absolutely heals and restores and redeems, and sometimes he uses therapists to do just that. In fact, Kay herself went to therapy to help her process all of her grief, loss, and pain. So we asked Kay what might be some indicators that we need to seek out a counselor. And she actually mentioned that it doesn't have to be an overwhelming time, but it could just be a season where you feel stuck, or maybe it is to process some grief. We know that life groups are a great place to talk about those things too. But if you've been considering going to counseling, it can be a really healthy and healing time. And if you know someone who is struggling, Kay also mentioned that the best thing we can do for those who are hurting is to show empathy and to ride the roller coaster of grief with them. So this is just a quick reminder that processing our feelings can actually deepen our faith when we invite God into them. And if those feelings start becoming overwhelming, we just wanted to encourage you that it might be time to seek out professional help. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you wise. Because even though it's tempting to say things like, it's fine, or God's got this, or I shouldn't be upset about this, the underlying feelings don't usually go away that easily. So instead, we can acknowledge when we aren't fine and ask God to reveal himself through that. Because sometimes we need to acknowledge our feelings to seek restoration in relationships. Now let's jump back in with some practical tips of how we process all those feelings. Really, when we give ourselves the chance to process our feelings, there's a part in there where we do surround it with truth. It's not that you just end on what you feel, but there's a process to it. There's a time where we put the truth around it, and that can really grow our faith. Mm -hmm. That's good. So what are some unhealthy ways that we process our emotions? Yeah, I think the first one is probably pretending that they don't exist. (laughs) That's probably number one. (laughs) I think another one is distraction. And we often think of social media and screens and movies, which is definitely a real distraction. But also, we can run to other relationships instead of processing our feelings too. And then a third way is self-medication through substances, exercise even, food, any sort of escape is probably an unhealthy way to process them. So can you tell us some healthier ways that we can process our emotions? Yeah, so I've referenced this feelings guy, my friend Vicky and I, it was just a tangible way that we try to come up with that can help people. And so I'll just talk through that process. So the first one is feel it. And so if I ask you, what does it physically feel like for you to be angry? Some people might say, my face gets red or my jaw clenches or my chest feels tight. And so it's recognizing what we're physically experiencing. And the same goes for what does it physically feel like for you to be sad? Some people cry. Some people stomachs hurt. Some people feel like they have a lump in their throat or their chest gets heavy. These are oftentimes what people describe this as. And so really recognizing what's going on within you will help you do the second one, which is to name it. And this is where the research shows if you can name your feelings, then it already produces therapeutic effects in your brain. But that really relies on you actually knowing how you feel and the nuances of it. So if I were to say to you, what's the difference between feeling discouraged and disappointed? If you think about it, there is a difference and you know that there's a difference, but what is that difference? How do you know what the difference is for you? And it's going to be a little different for you than it is for me or, you know, anybody else. And so just recognizing what is actually going on and then naming it appropriately. And then the third step is truth it. And so this is kind of what I was talking about before, where we surround what's going on with these feelings, the context of it. So does this feeling match the situation? Am I overreacting or am I underreacting? Mm -hmm. Um, Underreacting would look like being numb, like not having any reaction. 
overreacting can be anything that's just maybe a little bit more intense than what you would probably say is normal for that situation. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, are there any other triggers in place? Like, are there other things that have compounded this feeling? So that can be anything from like having a fight with your spouse before you get into work and having a really bad meeting. Well, that fight with your spouse is probably influencing your intensified feelings. So just recognizing what else happened in my day? What's going on? What is the truth around this? What does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? So then adding those, what I say is like being a detective of what's going on a little bit and then filling that in a little bit. And then the last section is choose it. And this one is really important because I always tell people you need to write down all of the choices because oftentimes we will say, well, I just don't have a choice. But that's not true, right? We may not like all of our options, (laughs) but we always have a choice. And so what are choices in that scenario? And I say to write all of them down, even the ones that you obviously wouldn't choose. If you're angry, you're probably not going to go punch a wall. But that (laughs) is a choice that you could write down. Mm. And so that you're intentionally choosing what you want to do in that process. And so it just gives you a chance to slow down everything and really think about it and reflect and walk yourself through each of those things. And you don't have to do this with all feelings. It's not that like, oh, I I felt 10 feelings today. I have to go through all of them. But really, you, I think we all can recognize those times where we're a little bit more intense and we want to figure out what is going on with those. Mm-hmm. And the other flip side of this, I would say, is like also think about what really made you happy today. I think the mm-hmm. positive side of things gets really washed away in the negative feelings. But what are the good things that happened today? What are the things that actually made you laugh or made you happy? And like, think about those too and process those. And it's not going to look the exact same as processing a negative feeling, but I think it's also equally as important. Hmm, That's helpful. So I'm also curious, is it ever different the perspective of men looking at their feelings versus women? Or what would you tell anybody who's thinking like, I just don't think that I have feelings or I don't want to process them? Yes, I think that men also have feelings. (laughs) I've definitely heard the phrase of like, oh, I'm just a thinker and I'm not really a feeler, to which I would also say those go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. That's the process. Like you actually have a feeling. Everybody has feelings. And then we do apply thinking and thought to them. And then we make a choice. But it's a process Mm -hmm. that everybody can go through. I don't think it's just women or just men. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are lots of jokes out there of like, (laughs) oh, I only have one feeling. (laughs) But the reality is that's not true. Maybe you're like my husband who actually is very even keeled emotionally, I would say. But even he has to like think about things and then he has to rewind and say, okay, what am I feeling? But he still has to go through the process because at the end of the day, you still have to put truth and context around what's going on and then you want to make the choice. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about how when we process our feelings, our faith can actually grow. And so if we choose to ignore them, then we're ignoring that growing process too. Right. And so I'm curious, like, what have you learned about God by choosing to process your emotions? Oh, man, I have learned so much. I have learned that He is a sustainer. Mm-hmm. I have learned that He is a restorer. He's a healer. He's a provider. Um, I could go through each story and tell you how I came up with those. (laughs) But I really, I mean, I would not have learned about those things of the character of God had I not sat in the feelings and just processed them. And again, this isn't, we're not just saying like, feel all the things and like, let that be the end of it. Mm -hmm. We're saying that there's a process to it. Mm -hmm. And you do add thought to it and you do add truth to it. And when you add the truth to it, you can really start to see like, who does God say he is in this situation of my life? 
There was a time when I couldn't buy diapers and we had no money in our account and I was so upset, obviously. Mm. And I just sat in my car and I cried and cried and I thought, okay, what's happening here? And am I supposed to be the one to fix this? And the truth was, I was already working a full-time job. Greg was working a full-time job. And I just really felt like, nope, I'm just supposed to sit in this for a second. And because I did... God became my provider, not me. I didn't fix it for myself. I mean, there's times where we have to act and that's part of the choice. But in that choice section, I got to say, I'm not supposed to do more now. I'm supposed to let God provide for me. And so I did. And because of that, I got to see God as my provider. And really my faith grew really deep then because I trusted him. I was putting all of my trust in him in that moment and just really watching for what he did. Here's what's happening in your brain. So you know how we're talking about feeling our feels instead of pretending that they don't exist or walking around denying that we're angry while yelling things like, I'm not angry or I am calm. Yeah, your brain is actually wired to label emotions. And as much as it may feel like it is the last thing you want to do, naming your emotions actually helps your brain calm down. In fact, UCLA did a study with two groups of people. They showed both groups a photo of either a girl or a guy with an angry face. Group one had to say either Harry or Sally, depending on whether the photo was a man or a woman. Group two named the photo either angry or fearful. So here's what they found out. In both groups, when people saw the photo, their amygdalas were triggered. It's the part of your brain that processes fear. It's very good at helping you escape from dangerous situations. Not so good at making rational decisions. But here's where it gets interesting. In the group where people labeled the photo as angry or fearful, they saw reduced activity in the amygdala and their frontal cortex started working. Your frontal cortex is the part of your brain that's very good at making decisions. But when your amygdala, the fear processing part of the brain, gets triggered, your frontal cortex slows down, making it hard to make a rational decision. So simply by recognizing the emotion in the photo, it actually helps people calm down. Yeah, I said recognizing emotion, not ignoring it, helps you calm down. That's why feeling your feels is actually a really good thing. It seems like processing your emotions is going to make everything worse. But science tells us that when you take a second to name your emotion, it will actually help your brain do what it's supposed to do and help itself chill out. We're tempted to think that we can feel angry and just decide not to feel it. But our brains and our bodies say otherwise. So when you find an emotion starting to creep up, don't shut it down. Name it. Allow yourself to feel it or decide that you'll address it later. And then your brain can start doing its thing and stop freaking out. That's science. And that's what's happening in your brain. We wanted to see how scripture plays into all of this. So we sat down with Brian Russell, the executive director of the YouVersion Bible app, who also shared his personal experience of battling anxiety. Well, Brian, thanks for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I grew up in Northern Virginia in the D.C. area, but then my wife and I spent about eight years overseas doing cross-cultural ministry as well as business internationally, and that's what we were doing right before moving here uh, and becoming part of Life Church and leading Version now for almost 10 years. Okay, so where are some of the places that you lived out of the country? Before I was married, I lived in Mexico okay. uh, for a couple of years. And then together, after marriage, we lived in Spain, Morocco, Tunisia, and Egypt. 
Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're in Oklahoma. (laughs) That's right. All of that was preparing us for the big cross-cultural shift of moving to Oklahoma. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Sure. So we wanted to hear from you because you do lead you versions, but we also know that you have a lot of really great personal experiences as well. So we were just wondering if you could talk to us about your experience with anxiety. Yeah, it actually started, at least what I would describe as acute anxiety, Mm -hmm. started about 15 years ago while living in one of those countries I just mentioned that we lived in. And I really believe that a period of pretty intense stress kind of laid the groundwork in ways I didn't even recognize at the time. But when I look back, we had just had twin babies, uh, our first two babies. We moved from Spain where we could communicate and moved to a North African country that only spoke Arabic and French. We didn't know how to get around. I'm feeling anxious. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually starting. I think I'm palpitating (laughs) as I speak. In addition to that, I I felt the pressure to learn Arabic and start a new business. So that was the context of my life at the time. And Mm. so it started with chest pains. Mm. And one night I almost walked two miles to a hospital because I was convinced I was having a heart attack. So you didn't feel super stressed out. It just started to show up physically. I, I don't know that I would have described to you at the time, hey, I'm super stressed because I just felt like I've got this under control. It's in hindsight that I look and uh, realize I was under a lot of stress. Okay. Mm. So what are some of the things that you started to do? Did you just like immediately know I need to do something about this or what was the journey towards taking action? So I started to have Mm. physical ailments like chest pains. Mm. That actually ended up going away, but then I started having migraines. That's a fairly common thing for me. But this was different in that I entered into about an eight to 10 week period of daily persistent severe migraines and even the inability to see really well. My my vision was being impaired uh, a bit by these. Well, both of those health scares actually led into my battle with anxiety because something that I never do now, but that I did at the time was I, I hopped on Google and I mm-hmm. started looking at my symptoms and mm-hmm. trying to figure out yeah. what was wrong with me. And you guys yeah. are smiling because you know where that can lead, the rabbit hole that that can uh-huh. uh, take you down. Well, I at some point uh, in this journey, I started to realize I have an anxiety problem. I know that there's probably someone listening who's thinking, this guy leads you version and he went through this. So yeah, hopefully they're not deleting the app right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I hope, and obviously I want this to speak to anyone, but for men especially, I think it can be really challenging to admit that you mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. a problem in this area or anything related to mental health mm-hmm. is... It can be either a sign of weakness or um, just a lack of strength when Mm -hmm. we want to pride ourselves in being strong or capable. And the tough thing about anxiety is that it can hit any of us. Yeah, I think that that is a perception people can have that anxiety somehow makes you weak or that it's just something you need to power through. But we know that that's not helpful or healthy. So are there any other things that maybe people said to you or just things that you thought about anxiety that were unhealthy or unhelpful? I think there's a 
stigma still often for mental health challenges or things such as anxiety, worry, or depression mm -hmm. that sadly can keep people from seeking help, mm -hmm. seeking advice, or seeking help or advice early enough mm -hmm. or earlier uh, rather than later. Another thing that I specifically had to deal with was probably more than that was my own self-talk and negative mm -hmm. uh, self-talk and even guilt that I put on myself. Mm -hmm. Because I I would read scripture like 1 Peter 5, 7, yep. that mm -hmm. says, cast your anxiety on me. Mm -hmm. um, but I would not uh, read the rest of it because he cares for me. Mm -hmm. um, I would read passages like Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Mm -hmm. And when Paul says, do not be anxious. Mm -hmm. And I would look at the struggle that I was going through and I, was, I would think, I'm failing. Yeah. I'm not living up to what scripture and yep. what God wants for me. And, and it actually led to a, a little bit of a bad cycle because that guilt or feeling mm -hmm. like I'm missing the mark actually made me more anxious, <laughs> which made me feel more guilty. And fortunately, I was able to kind of break through that. And, and I think in some ways, going through this journey with anxiety helped me embrace and realize aspects of God's love, compassion, care, mm. mercy, more than I had really felt or experienced prior to that. So how did you begin to see those scriptures in a different way? Yeah, so if anyone listening is going through anxiety, Philippians 4, 6 through 9, I think is a, is a great place to start. So yes, Paul starts off, do not be anxious, a command. Yeah. <laughs> However, he doesn't leave it there. One, he says to pray, Yeah. but he doesn't stop there. He says, pray with thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And so... That's a specific thing that I started to practice was, one, as I started to have anxious thoughts, was to start praying, give it to God, cast it on Him. But not just that, combat that negativity with forcing myself to think about things that I am thankful for. Right. Mm. So I may be suffering severely from headaches right now, but I'm thankful that my kids are healthy. I'm thankful that mm. I don't have chest pains anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just headaches. Yeah. And... Paul goes on to say, think about what is pure, what is good, what is holy, and what is true. Yeah. So I found that I actually, in anxiety, often um, start lying to myself because if, if I have headaches, but I instantly go to, I have a brain tumor. What if I have a brain tumor? What if I go to the doctor and this is what they say to me? I'm living in a lie. Yeah. Is it possible that those things are true? Yes, it's possible. But until they're true, I am embracing and just kind of ruminating on a lie. Yeah. And that could apply to so many things beyond a brain tumor. Like um, maybe my boss is trying to get rid of me or maybe my friends don't really want to hang out with me. I mean, it absolutely, is Absolutely. So based on that kind of response, I'm curious, do you think there's anything you learned about God that you wouldn't have if you didn't go through that? We know from Scripture that he is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. But there was something about that sweetness in the midst of my trouble that made Psalm 23 come to yeah. life. Yeah. The good shepherd, not keeping us necessarily out of the dark valleys, but even when we're even walking though. through that uh, valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. 
that's something that I think I intellectually and theologically knew. Yeah. But mm. it became more of a reality, and I felt it uh, during those days. Mm. So, Brian, you talked about this time of acute anxiety when you were overseas. Is Flash forward to today, is anxiety something that you still have to regularly battle? So that period of acute anxiety lasted for about three to four months. And I really feel like God used multiple things in my life. And something that I have often been asked about my anxiety is, hey, do you think it was spiritual physiological or emotional? Mm. And I have come to the conclusion that the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really do believe that there were elements of all three of those things. Yeah. So I believe there were spiritual aspects to what I was mm. going through that needed to be battled spiritually yeah. with mm. scripture, mm. with prayer. I also um, came to realize that some of this was physiological. And again, it's often a cyclical thing because mm. I learned a lot in talking to a doctor yeah. during this mm -hmm. time that one of the most important things uh, for someone who's anxious is to get good sleep, yeah. um, to eat well. Yeah. Well, when you're anxious, two of the things you don't do very well are sleep well and eat well. Uh, and that can be kind of cyclical. Yep. And then I also had the good fortune of being able to talk to a counselor through this mm -hmm. time. And but I think it's important to be open to approaching, attacking your anxiety or, or, or yeah. combating your anxiety with a multi-pronged approach right. because mm -hmm. often there are various things at play. And I think that even though those three months were sort of a specific season that I clearly got out of, mm. it would be a disservice to mm. to act as if I've never struggled with anxiety yeah. since then. Mm. And I absolutely believe God healed me from anxiety, but I also humbly recognize that I have a tendency to fall back into that if mm. I mm. let my guard down. Mm. And so there are certain things I need to put into place to help prevent that from happening. So back to the original question, how do we process our emotions in a healthy way? We've heard that we admit we have them, we name them, and we invite God into them. But we also need to invite others in. What I, what I found myself telling my kids, talk to God and people about what you're feeling. So we've talked a lot about dealing with emotions, but sometimes processing your unfiltered thoughts with others is the most helpful thing you can do. You can find safe people to process with, at Life Church, we call it life groups. It's just a group of friends who live life together. You can find one for yourself at life.church/lifegroups. So this week with your friends or your life group or family, here's a question we'd love for you to ask. Are there any thoughts or feelings that I've been ignoring? And how can I more regularly let God and others into my emotions? We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode of You've Heard It Said. 
Remember the rule we've got on the podcast. We don't want you to keep listening unless you're talking with others about what you're hearing and doing some of the things you've heard said. So to help you have a conversation with the people you care about, we've got you covered with questions, resources, and more in the conversation guide. It'll be in the show notes wherever you're listening. Also, if you liked today's episode, please leave a rating and review. We know, we know, everybody asks for one, but it really does help more people find these conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a great week.